sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. And man, does this feel good because not only am I seated at uh, the rectangular table with Aaron Porter, uh, the co-host with you know, almost the most, but a voice from the past is here. Yes. Uh-huh. Do you recognize the voice? <laughs> <laughs> it is I. Mondo has wow. made it into Franklin. Yeah. Man, it's so good to see you, brother. It's good to see you too, man. Yeah. Well, it's good to be back. And Caddy Corner from the Mellow Mushroom, where we That's used true. to spend some time. Yeah. That's true. Caddy Corner, where the, 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 uh, the original... Well, actually, we didn't start there. That was the second place. That was the second place. That was the second yep. place, yep. yeah. But we were, there, we were at the Mellow Mushroom. The upper room, as we used to call it. High above the Mellow Mushroom. Yep, for yes. a long time, man. Yeah. So it was uh-huh. good. Yeah. So now we're within sight of the Mellow Mushroom. And we're in sight of Mondo Grimes. Yes, we are. Mm. Thank you for making me feel cheesy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Aaron. Yikes. Okay. Uh, so, also, Mondo brought Italian beer. Which you were like, of course there's Italian beer, sure. but you couldn't name any other Italian beer. <laughs> oh, so, I can name Peroni, but that's the only one I know. There's got to be many others. but Of course there are. Yes. But Thank Italy you, is mostly known for its wine. Yes, uh, exactly. So I, I didn't try until now. Here here it goes. Oh, you'll like it. It's refreshing. <laughs> that was awful. Thanks. Well, sorry, <laughs> sorry, guys, for them. <laughs> I was trying to make it radio friendly. Oh. I went down the wrong pipe, but my lungs <laughs> feel like it could have burned worse. Hmm, Good, that's, uh, I like it. Well, that's that's light. It's light, it's refreshing, mm-hmm. light and refreshing. It's mm-hmm. a lager. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There we go. Glad I could bring something new to you, man. Peroni. Yep. Uh, you've you've all had this, so this is you're just looking at me like I'm supposed to say something. So this is a request What's for all the guys listening to send Aaron your favorite list of beers <laughs> to to enlighten him, mm-hmm. uh, school him, get him caught up expand, on uh, wow. right. Yeah, uh, expand his his uh, beer horizons. A box of beer, not a list of beers. No. I don't want much of paper. <laughs> An hey, email trail. Yes. I just got a I just got a uh, notice today from from a pirate monk, Phil Breedlove, to, uh, that there is there's a new. Well, I haven't heard of it before. There is a, a brewery in Nashville that I presume is quite new called Harding House, I believe. Okay, sounds like a bunch of Christian renegades running this thing because it's all about the glory of creation and stuff like that in their <laughs> description. All right, yeah, and they are releasing tomorrow their Silas Stout. Wow. How cool oh, is that? That's cool. Okay. What? Wow. Yes. What were they even thinking? I'm curious. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Yeah, it doesn't really have a Samson connection. There's some other Silas. I don't know, but it's cool. All right. That is cool. I'll have to check that well, out. Well, next podcast, uh, <laughs> we'll have Silas on. Stout. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, we'll that's work right. our way through this. It's perfect. That's right. You know, I'm, I'm still spinning a little bit tired. I just came back from three great days in Miami. Yeah, so I heard you were doing like a club hopping tour uh, on Saturday night. No, 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 no. Well, it was Cuban. So, so <laughs> it was Cuban. can't you do Cuban? I don't know. Oh. Yeah, I... You were doing some kind of, it sounded to me like you were doing a disco. Of some sort. EDM. Of course. Of course yes. Yeah. A disco. What? I'm not even going to respond. Okay. It's fine. Just All the other cool. old people will agree with you. <laughs> What were you doing down there? So it was a, I did a, a men's conference for Granada Presbyterian Church. And uh, at the instigation and invitation of our friend Marcos Ruiz. So that was Friday night and Saturday morning. Had a great time. And they did it up Friday night, 
they sp- they spent all day Friday roasting a whole hog. All right. Wow. In this big box, it was freaking phenomenal. And then all these sides, and uh, and then after, let's see, yeah, Friday night there was beer and cigars after the event. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then the next morning, uh, we had a second session. Then we broke into into you know we did mini meetings essentially. Okay. Followed by some more hang time and wrapped by noon. And Saturday night, Marcos took us. Jamie Bennett was there as well, and and my friend uh, Jason and we. Uh, J- Marcos took us into Little Havana, into the heart of Little Havana. Oh, okay, wow. Into a into a club that Ella Fitzgerald and Count Basie and a whole bunch of people had played. Wow. And uh, man, it was unbelievable. Now I love secondhand cigar smoke. Hmm. Oh wow, I've never heard that before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's, man. I've never oh, heard that before. I see, yeah, I yeah. I, I can't smoke a cigar. I'll taste it for a year, and Allie won't kiss me. Yeah. Right. So it's, when did this start? Huh? When did this start that you're like? That's oh, the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. I know. It's, huh? really, it's definitely one of the weirdest coming from you, and that's saying a lot. No, 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 no. So no. when did that start? When was the first time you're like, oh, I love the smell of a cigar. I love the smell of a good pipe. I just can't smoke them. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So I can hang around because you were growing up in such a prudish bubble. Right, exactly. So when did you first encounter, like, pipes make sense. Pipes. Yeah, pipes, pipes is sense. awesome. Pipes, yeah. cigars, I tried, different. really, because I, I did everything to try to be the cool Princeton Don. So I bought <laughs> I, I bought the uh, I bought the jacket with the leather patches. You sure? And I wore hush puppies and corduroys. And uh, <laughs> I got the right hat. Wait, what, what was the right hat? What was the right Was that with the little propeller on top? No, no, <laughs> what was no, 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 no. It was uh, a fedora. Oh, okay. A fedora okay. with your armpit. The definition of cool. This is... And uh, yeah, but it all fell apart when I tried the pipe. Oh. I just, I couldn't do it. And, and, I, and I tried a cigar too once. <laughs> Allie still just teases me about it. Uh, because we we'd taken the kids to Disney World, and uh, and there at this shopping arcade, still part of Disney but not part of the park, there was a a, a shop that had a humidor. Okay. And I thought, you know, now is my chance, really, to dive in. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you know, yeah. I I bought something in an aluminum cylinder that was expensive and seemed to be good, and I didn't know what the, what I was doing. Yeah. And then I had to hide from the kids. And so <laughs> went off this, behind this the is building. Going a great direction. <laughs> <laughs> the kids are just little. Went off behind the building and and lit that thing up and just about choked to death. I mean, <laughs> when Allie found me, I was turning blue. I mean, it was just awful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, okay. I, I do remember as a kid, I stole a cigarette from my grandma who was visiting from Hollywood. Uh-huh. It was a Benson and Hedges, which oh, is wow. definitely an. Uh, an older woman's cigarette, I think. Yeah. If you're a man out there enjoying Benson and Hedges, I'm sorry for my lack of insight, but <laughs> it seemed like an old woman's cigarette. So I went and tried that. That didn't go so well. And then I got a Swisher Sweet. Oh. Probably 16. And I smoked it the wrong way around because mm-hmm. it seemed like the little whole part would be like, well, if you light it, it's fine. So sure. smoke the big. So there was no sweet to my Swisher Sweet because <laughs> I was lighting the sweet on fire. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, but I didn't have... I, I didn't hide from my kids. Yeah, yeah. I was a kid. Yeah. So yeah. I just like that picture of you. Do you have any photographs of you in the fedora 
and the jacket and the corduroys. I certainly hope not. Uh, I, would, I would pay it's a small amount of money to see that. Yeah. But anyway, it was a beautiful time in Miami. And then good, man. I spoke a couple times yesterday yeah. morning at church. You are traveling a lot because I think we're going on a road we're trip going in a couple yeah, we're days. We're leaving Friday. You and I are going to Columbia, Missouri. So you got to have a bunch of Cuban food yeah. and go to the clubs. <laughs> dancing uh, and we're going to Missouri. Yeah. Uh, Columbia, Missouri, which yeah. there we go. Party I've, capital of the world, I hear. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've never been, so I'm not gonna say anything. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it though. Yeah, it's gonna be a great time. So it's a college town. There's yeah. a college there. Mm-hmm. Yep. What, and it's <laughs> what college is there? And I think they were going to do an all Saturday event uh when when they invited us, and then it turns out that there's a football game that day. So they have to oh, okay. In a home football game. Okay. So they have to switch things up a little bit. But still, we'll have a good time. Cool. Well, all right. Well, I'm looking forward to that update from you yeah. when we return. <laughs> In the meantime, I'll tell you what. I could use a mini-me. Let's do that. What Love do you think? That'd well, I'd like to hear first real quick how Mondo's doing because we just got – You kind of did skate past me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Your style. <laughs> it is all it's about me. Yeah. You're is, right, right. <laughs> this isn't this – isn't... <laughs> All right. So, Mondo, what's yeah. the most embarrassing outfits you used to wear? <laughs> oh, my Detroit? God. Man, you know, there's a... I'm going to show it to you shortly, actually. <laughs> it's a light blue suit with a uh, navy blue butterfly <laughs> collar. Mm-hmm. I was probably around five years old. I had a, a Don Cornelius Afro, Soul Train mm-hmm. Afro. Okay. Uh, yeah. We're the same age. How did you... This is not our age range. What, what I'm telling you, I, it's embarrassing, man. Wow. It's, it's embarrassing. This so, wasn't a costume. No, no, this, this is was real serious deal. This stuff. Is daily like, life. Yeah, real life, man. You couldn't tell me nothing. <laughs> I, I was clean, brother. You couldn't tell me anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to show it to you. It's pretty terrible, but uh, but so, yeah, I'm doing good though. Other than that, man. Wait, no, you can't go past that. Oh, was dang, that man. special occasion, or did you go to school? Oh, bro, that? That, no, that's just every. That's every day. Tuesday. That's a Tuesday. Yeah, one o'clock. That's a Tuesday. <laughs> That's my Tuesday outfit. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So when do we get to see this? Should uh, I? Do I, will, I get to post it? Uh, yeah, you know, in you the can, show notes. You yes, you can. Yes, you can. Wow. I will show it to you when we take to take a break. It'd yeah. be some bait to get people to the Facebook page. We can yeah. post it there. You can put. Yeah, you put it there too. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I don't know how we got to talk about how are you doing to the blue suit, but all good. All good. So, yeah. how's the rest of you doing? Since I mean, we don't get to see you and hear lots of people comment yeah. on where is yeah, Mondo, yeah. where's Newton. Yeah. So, how do you want to answer that? Doing great, man. Uh, it's been a busy, busy year. Um, we are expecting a little girl, my man. Yes, all right. Indeed. Wow. And uh, we have been going through the process of IVF all yeah. year. Wow. We started in February. Yeah. Uh, had a, a failed transfer. Mm-hmm. For those who know about that sure. process, and then we attempted again in in July, and it succeeded, and we're doing well. And oh wow, Selena is nineteen months right now. Nineteen like, weeks. Nineteen months. weeks. Sorry, I said months. Yeah. Good lord. Nineteen weeks. Elephant, man. For real. It's, a, it's actually perfect. Put the beer down, it, Mondo. It, it, it comes out and yeah. just automatically yeah. gets a job, an apartment, yes. yeah. and yeah, it exactly. just skips the Cosby exactly Show entirely. Right. Exactly. That's great. So nineteen, so 19, 19 weeks. weeks. Hold on, I need to do the math. This week's thing kills me. 19 months then. Yep, yep. Almost halfway. Okay. Wow. Almost halfway. halfway. Right at it. Yeah, doing You're great, really man. That. And uh, so that's that's been our world pretty much all year. It's just the process of that and, you know, uh, keeping her healthy and all that and the ups and downs of the emotions and yeah. the victories, the 
what the hell so, moments. So how are you stuff. feeling with this whole? I'm, a feel, new... I'm, I'm, I'm elated, man. I'm, I'm, um, to be really honest, I'm glad that the, we're at this stage because we've been fighting for 10 years to, to have a child. We've been, you know, really on this journey to have a kid for 10 years. And so a decade is a long time to be in fight mode, so to speak. You know what I mean? Just troubleshooting, attempting, 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 and triple shooting, not working, not working, not working. And then when it does work after a decade, you really don't know what to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. Cause you, you find a rhythm of fighting and, and, yeah, 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 and, yeah. and, and trying to try, trying to win. And so when we succeeded, we were like, all right, cool. We're pregnant. Now what? Mm. So I'm, I'm basking in that rest right now mentally. Um, and, and looking at other things now we'll focus on planning and things like that. But, wow. but things are good, man. I'm, I'm really excited for both of us. Uh, it's 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 just awesome, man. Hmm. It's good. It's great. Yeah, it's good. So, long time coming. Congratulations. Hey, Mondo. Yeah. Uh, why don't you introduce your uh, the guest that you've brought? Yeah, man. And we'll oh, we'll have we'll ask Ben to participate. Then we'll we'll sucker him into joining. So, <laughs> yeah, sure. okay. yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because we, and we don't want to spoil the the meat of it. We're going to do That's a mini right. meeting, right? Just yeah, a mini yeah, okay. just a mini. Uh, yeah. So this is my buddy Ben Ben Sweeney. Uh, we've known each other probably since 2010. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere around there. Somewhere around yeah. there. Uh, he is, is a chiropractor in the local area. I let him tell more of his story, but uh, we became friends. Uh, Selena, my wife, uh, was working with him for, well, actually still is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Working with him. And uh, man, it's been a long time, bro. It has been. Wow. Man. <laughs> wow. Been through a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so we became friends over years and, you know, keep in contact and we mm -hmm. see each other at the, at the, at the office and, mm -hmm. and fat lunch and all that good stuff. And, and so, you know, just, you know, it's good to, to see where he is today. And I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm going to let okay. him share, but, but I'm just glad he's here to, to be a part of the guys and about part of the meeting. That's great. Welcome, Ben. It's yeah. great to have you. Thanks with for us. having me. And with that said, we'll throw you right into a mini meeting when we return after this quick break. And we're back in the Pirate Monk Podcast, and it's time for the mini meeting. Mini and already, meeting. already, we have reached the sharing portion of our meeting. Man, uh, in sharing, we speak honestly out of our own experience. We tell the truth about ourselves, knowing that our brothers will listen to us in love and will hold whatever we say in strictest, strictest confidence. confidence. We try to keep our comments brief, taking care to leave plenty of time for others. We address our statements to the group as a whole rather than directing them toward any one person. And as a rule, we refrain from giving advice to others or instructing them during the meeting, believing that such conversations are best reserved for private moments between friends. Can I, can I make a request? Sure. This doesn't count as crosstalk. It's, uh, it, it's parenthetical. All right. Can you read the fact before we do the mini-meeting? Sure I can. I, I, I That always helps me. Does it? Okay. Yeah. All right. So... Uh, just remember everything Nate said. He's going to read the fact, and then... Uh... All right. This is the great fact of the gospel, which is the foundation of our charter. One, God exists. In the timeless mystery of the Trinity, he is perfectly harmonious, perfectly whole. Two, God is our creator. He designed us to live in eternal harmony with him and each other and to care for the rest of his creation. Three, spurning God's fellowship, we all have sinned, forfeiting our created place and losing our spiritual lives. Four, I myself have personally defied God's law and rejected his love. Alienation from him has produced darkness and chaos in my life. 
for which I've often blamed others. Five, God has continued to love me, even in my active rebellion, and in Christ has done everything necessary to restore me perfectly to himself. Six, as I accept responsibility for my sin and find forgiveness in the finished work of Christ, I experience reconciliation with God and am progressively restored to harmony with myself and others. And seven, despite the lingering effects of sin, I am a restored son of the sovereign Lord, whose spirit is at work in my weakness, displaying his glory and advancing his kingdom. All right. So the topic of today's mini-meeting is fantasy. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) The floor is open for whoever wishes to speak. I know the first two words that came into Mondo's head just then. <laughs> what? I'm not saying them. Okay. They're inappropriate. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> oh, man. Mm. I'm Nate. Hey, Nate. Nate. Hey. <clears throat> um, I was addicted to fantasy long before I ever discovered sex, and uh, sex simply just added fuel to a fire that was already running. Um. Uh, you know, life had challenges. All of our lives have challenges. And there were some crazy things going on in the house that I grew up in. And uh, I found that I could escape into a different world, an imaginary world. I, I don't mean to denigrate imagination or fantasy. I, I'm grateful that God gave me the ability to dream. It's part of my being created in his image. Uh, but even as a child, I escaped from the difficulties of daily life into books. Uh, I read voraciously. I read, uh, I read nonstop. I read two or three books a day. Uh, I read out the local public town library. I read out the school library. I read out the library in the town next over, next one over. I would read the encyclopedia uh, just as a way to check out. Uh, I suppose in much the same way that kids today will immerse themselves in uh, YouTube or video games. We didn't have such things. Um, <clears throat> my parents, went in high school, if, if, uh, if, I, if I got in trouble and I had to be severely punished, the punishment would be one book a week. I would then get the biggest, fattest, heaviest book I could find, and that would be the one that they would see me reading while I, I hid others. That's not a, that's not a healthy thing. Uh, what I found was, what I, you know, what I know now is that I had this well-developed ability to, uh, when life gets difficulty, uh, difficult, just to. Uh, <clears throat> jump into an alternate narrative. Uh, I can get a great sense of accomplishment out of imagining that I did something. Mm. Uh, Really, Mm. planning is very, very fulfilling for me, and I don't even need to follow through. Um, And, uh, you know, I would like to be able to have my own imaginary conversations with my wife, for example, around conflict, rather than sit down and have the actual one. 
that might point to the real issues that need to be addressed and resolved. But for me, a big part of recovery is learning more and more and becoming uh, more and more. Part of the reason, I used to have a very, very deep belief that the real world was unsafe and that I didn't have what it takes to function in the real world. Uh, that's what made fantasy and continues to make fantasy so appealing. But more and more, as I continue to heal and grow, I'm gaining confidence that I actually do have what it takes to live life on life's terms, uh, uh, to face life's conflicts and survive, and I don't have to run away. I want to maintain my ability to dream and create, but I but I, I, I no longer want to be, um, yeah. I, I would like to have real accomplishment rather than imaginary accomplishment. I'm Nate. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. Bye, Mondo. Hey, Mondo. <clears throat> um, as soon as you said fantasy, it, it, it brought up something bad, which is part of the point here for me, well, what I'm about to say. Um, you know, part of my my thing is entertaining the fantasy of vengeful thoughts and actions. Um, and when you when, that's why I squirmed when you said fantasy. You know, most people may have a different response, but for for me, it's <clears throat> it's something that goes down a dark rabbit hole. Um, because I lean towards. Um, you know, if something is done wrong to me or there's conflict or whatever, um, the fantasy of what I could accomplish to fix that conflict in my way. Hmm. And, the, and the feelings that it, that it, that it, it generates and, and creates inside of me, it's, I like it. You know, I shouldn't. And I talk myself into this, this fantasy where it plays off to such a dark place to where I'm like, oh, well, I can't do any of that now. Let me let me turn my back on it and find a a a, a good solution. But my my natural bent is negative. It's really weird. My natural bent is conflict with the worst thing I can do mm-hmm. to win in my mind. Not winning at all, but it's something about convincing yourself that I'm willing to trump anything you could ever do. And there's something, honestly, to be, be frank sick inside of me that enjoys that thought and so uh fantasy is something that i i don't like talking about for it and because i, I lean negative you know is i don't think disney disney world and animation and <laughs> all the fantasies and all that kind of stuff now i'm a visionary person i love dreaming about things but fantasy to me is something that's so directly correlated to your emotions and feeding that beast that's inside. And uh, so for me, man, that, that word is, that's a hot button for me. Major hot button. I'm Mondo. Thanks, Mondo. Thanks, Mondo. I'm Aaron. Hey, Aaron. Aaron. Uh, yeah, I love that every topic that's picked, whether it's in here or at the in-person meeting, I just feel annoyed at the person who picks it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So fantasy was huge for me. I, I had a big imagination. I love to just 
I almost said play with myself. That's not where that I want this to go. <laughs> I would play by myself a lot uh, <laughs> as a child. Uh, and I would also just walk in the the river behind our house or uh, on, on a hill with my dog, listening to mostly Morrissey and Depeche Mode, which can just cultivate nothing but melancholy fantasies <laughs> with those two groups. Uh, and I would just, I would literally walk for miles, like just creating fantasies in my head. And when we were at the weekend, uh, it was that last weekend. Wow. Mm -hmm. We talked a lot about childhood trauma issues. I didn't have childhood trauma issues, but many of my childhood fantasies still play out. Like they haven't really changed. Uh, justice fantasies and hero fantasies. Yeah. And I feel like so much of what was discussed didn't trace for me back to trauma, but to fantasy. So I'm, what, 43 years old and still having the same need to prop up, like, what is deficient in life with the same fantasies as the 12-year-old me walking in the Salinas River with my dog. That's weird. Um, and because I love fantasy so much, I really have never minded removing myself from real life to just say, yeah, I can, I can enjoy a whole fake world as much as being present. And when I step back and look at that objectively, go, wow, that's, I don't know, fantasy is both beautiful and terrifying. Like the fact that that can be real is incredibly beautiful. But the fact that it can be real means, I know, I can lose whole chunks of life to disengaging from that which is less preferable for that which I can create in a river or on a hill. Mm. I'm Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. My name is Ben. Hey, Ben. Hey, ben. Yeah, I think for me, just looking back through my story, um, <clears throat> I never had much of a good imagination. I just really was not very artistic and very creative. Um, so I think fantasy for me was always wrapped around like what I could get done and what I could achieve or what I could um, maybe manipulate other people into doing. So I, I guess I had this fantasy that I could, I could make whatever I was feeling inside better by changing people, places, and things. So I guess it was always the fantasy around um, I can fix me if I can make X, Y, Z happen. And um, that was a pretty common recurring theme where, if I would get out and dribble the basketball, you know, for a couple hours a night and get things done, then I wouldn't think about the childhood sexual trauma or, you know, if I could, uh, if I could make the right grades, if I could do, you know, perform and achieve and people please and all this codependent stuff that I've been kind of riddled with from day one. I think for me, the fantasy was just, I was using anything that I could use to medicate what I was feeling inside was essentially a fantasy and that came along you know well before the drugs or any of the other issues but yeah i guess that for me that was the that was how fantasy played in so i'm ben thanks ben, thanks, ben. well uh we're at the end of the mini meeting aren't we <laughs> <laughs> Deep breath. you put away the script and that concludes the sharing portion of our meeting okay this does not replace all the other good stuff in life and churchy stuff as well as it benefits you 
there's the summary. Okay. And good. we'll be right back here on the Pirate <laughs> Monk Podcast. Back in the Pirate Monk Podcast, Ben Sweeney. Thank you so much for joining us, man. Thank you. Thanks and, for having me. And for the mini meeting. That's oh uh, yeah, yeah, my first one. Look at that. Just cold. Stepped right in and yeah. did it like a boss. Just <laughs> blow it out of the water. That's right. <laughs> 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 Ben's dancing now too. Everybody's dancing. Propeller hat. To, to the disco. <laughs> oh man. Well, welcome to the disco tech. Yes, yes. Thanks for having me. This is good, man. I, I I inferred from what you shared during the mini meeting that you have a bit of a recovery story. I do, indeed. Yes. Well, well would you would you tell it tell it to us? Sure, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I've been sober now for about a year and I guess nine months, ten months. Mm-hmm. It was February of 2018 when I got sober, and I had about a uh, eight year struggle with uh, with opiates. Hmm. And um, which led me to, you know, a year and a half ago going to CPE, which is uh, Center for Professional Excellence, and literally changed, you know, every aspect of my life, spiritually, physically, emotionally, my marriage, my, the way I deal with my daughter. Um, you really, there's no stone that wasn't unturned. Um, but I guess if you go back a little further in my story, because I always thought when I went into treatment, I thought it was just the drugs. I just needed to get sober, yeah, get over this pill thing, and then uh, everything would be fine. Mm-hmm. But then as I got deeper into that, and it's a 90-day treatment program, it goes very, very deep through your story and your timeline and your 10 most painful. And um, I realized a lot of this really started from age two, three, four. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom uh, left. I went to live with my dad when I was about uh, three years old. So my biological mom kind of went off the rails and, you know, uh, alcoholic, drug addict. Uh, she actually died of a drug overdose. Um, so I lived with my stepmom and then we moved from Tennessee up to West Virginia. 
and then moved from West Virginia to Pennsylvania. And so we kind of moved all over the place. I think I counted 32 homes oh, by the time, man, I, wow. by the time I was in my late thirties, I lived in about 32, I think it was r- roughly around there. So we moved around a lot, which, you know, taught me to kind of become a chameleon. Mm-hmm. I'll be whoever you need me to be. I'll put on the Pennsylvania accent. If I'm living in Pennsylvania, when I move back mm-hmm. to Tennessee, I can do that accent and, just who do I have to be? I have no idea what that means. Those are all the same accent. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do the Pennsylvania one anymore. It's it's escaped me. So, um, well, with that, did you feel like it was always short term? With that much moving, oh yeah. So you never thought I'm going to be what you need me to be for the long haul. Oh it no, it was just for the short term game. Let me let me get in. Yeah, get, get what, what I, I can get out. Yep, make wow. you like me. Um, yeah. And I, I remember when we left, this seems like such a silly thing, but I boohooed in treatment about it. But when we left, when I was 11, we moved from West Virginia to Pennsylvania and my only real friend, the only one that really loved me for me was my dog named Jet. He was mm-hmm. a Doberman or not a Doberman. He was a, he was a black retriever, a, a lab. And, uh, we drove away as we were moving and they said, Oh, by the way, we can't take the dog with us. So get in the car. We're leaving. So we pulled off, and I remember looking out the back window, and he chased me until he tired out, and we just kept driving off. So I think I remember early on, like with attachment and abandonment stuff, that, you know, you're not going to stick around. So I got to do what I got to do to to make sure I'm okay and, and I can get what I can get while I'm with you. So I don't know about the rest of you, but, you know, when you said you boo-hooed about it, I thought this will be a stupid thing you're about to say. Mm. That was the most heart rending i mean this is like people can watch a thousand people get blown up in a violent movie but you kill a dog yeah and everyone gets upset about it right but i think there's something in us that has that wow this is the innocent relationship sure and you having to watch that right go and even the dog the way you told it the dog getting too tired and couldn't follow you anymore like there was nothing boo-hoo about that that felt genuine genuine and real tragic Mm -hmm. well thank you for that um and it just, I think it taught me that people will leave, mm. you know, people will, you'll leave me at some point. So, you know, get it while you can. And, and that, that translated into a lot of even like relationships with females. Cause, um, I don't remember ever being like dumped and not because I'm some stud. It's just anytime I sensed that she was getting a little itchy, I would always be the one to dump her first. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta be, I gotta break it off. Yeah. So it always kept me in control, mm-hmm. which was another major addiction. But then when I was about 12, um, we moved to Pennsylvania, 11, 12. And the guy that worked for my dad, he was um, he was homosexual. And um, my dad didn't know it. I think he didn't know it at the time. But he was sort of like my ride to basketball practice. And I would kind of hang out in the office when I got home from school. So he was very much like an uncle or a friend or you know, I really trusted him and loved him, and I think he loved me. But, you know, that kind of progressed from where he would sort of isolate me from my sister, and then um, it got to where he would give me and my friend marijuana, and then that escalated into he would rent pornography and, you know, put that on, and nothing would happen. It would just be on the TV. And, you know, then eventually it got into, you know, basically full-blown sexual abuse. So, hmm. um, and I thought I would take that, to my grave like I literally thought I would never tell a soul mm-hmm. and for 30 
30 years, I never told anyone that story. Mm. Um, but I know that really, because I remember after that, I got, I dealt a lot with anxiety. I was real anxious a lot, bit my fingernails, you know, that kind of thing. So I would always, I was always looking for something to escape that feeling. And then, you know, being introduced to marijuana when you're that young, you learn that that's a good way to medicate. So I would do that. I think I smoked weed on and off for, you know, pretty much almost all my adult life through teenage college all the way up. So then I moved to Nashville in 2005, um, met my amazing wife who um, has still stuck with me through all this. Um, so we got married. We basically, I had to leave the office I was in because the guy got kicked out of Blue Cross and was investigating. He actually went to jail for fraud, but he was billing under my number. They thought it was me at first, squared that away, and then I broke broke ties with him and got married and then uh, we had a baby and then we lost a baby within you know about a year of having my first daughter and then I remember just just spinning because after she, we lost the baby my wife was bedridden for about two and a half years you know she has a, a condition called POTS where it's essentially like chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia and headaches and um anxiety and depression and 50 different things rolled into one. But, uh, so for, you know, two and a half years, she really didn't get off the couch much or out of the bed much. She couldn't drive her car. We didn't go to church or to movies or out to eat, or we, we rarely, if ever did any of those things. So, um, I remember being in my practice and it, I was just spinning out of control and a guy that was, you know, he was a patient in the practice who had had three failed back surgeries and his doctor was giving him hundreds of pain pills. He said, here, do you want one of these? And I never really liked pain pills. Remember, I took them in college and they made me feel weird. So, but he gave me that and I remember taking it and, um, it, it was, it was scary. Good. Mm -hmm. It was like, I feel good. The stress and anxiety has gone. I slept good that night. I had energy like all the worry and my hands stopped sweating and it just everything physiologically and emotionally changed immediately. And it, it, it scared me. And so I didn't use them again for a few months. Remember that. Wow, so it immediately scared you. Like you know, you when people say you, you try that one drug and that's the one thing that you mm -hmm. know is for you. Mm -hmm. That was that moment. Wow. Like all the childhood stuff, all the past, all the stress, all the worry, so it didn't sneak up on you. There was something in your yeah. head that said, this is a dangerous thing for me. And I knew it. So what, a few months later, when you went back to that, like, what was the process? Because obviously sure. you waited that long, yep. felt the danger, and then something said, screw it, I need that comfort. How aware were you of that moment? What was that moment like? Um that started because obviously with that the hooks were already kind of set in mm -hmm. and i'm sure i was sort of planning okay when am i going to do this again when mm -hmm. am i right. going to do this again right. and then he approached me and um it was really cheap at the time i could get like a month's worth for 120 bucks or something crazy which my my use escalated to about 10 grand a month right before i went into treatment so wow. yeah it got out of hand pretty quick so I remember I would get a, a few here and there. I would get one, you know, for the weekend. And then I would get a few for the weekend. And then I would get some, but I wouldn't take them during work because I, I can't see patients while I'm doing this. And I would take it right when I got in the car. 
And then it got to where I would take it 30 minutes before I left the office because it wouldn't kick in until I got in the car on the way home. So just, and then it got to where I was taking, you know, 13 to 15 pretty heavy potency pain pills, which is essentially, you know, one of what I was taking was like five hydrocodone. Wow. So 15 of those. Is there something that felt different because these are, you know, people get prescribed these. This is like meth or heroin or something you go on the street for. In your mind, was it easier to justify? Like it was, especially in the beginning, you know, I mean, I wasn't dumb enough to know or to think that my body needed this as a, a medical condition, cure or solution. You know, I knew I was taking it to, to get higher, to feel better is what I thought it was. But yeah, it was a lot easier to justify than, you know, street drugs. Um, and it was easy to hide. It was easy to conceal. Um, I wasn't dopey or drooling on myself. You know, I had energy. I was Jojo the circus clown. I mean, let's go, let's get it done. Which I think terrified my wife because of some of the States I was in, but, um, yeah, that escalated from probably, you know, 2010, 11 till, you know, up until I went into treatment, it just kept getting more and more and more. And then I, I would try to stop, um, cause I hated being a hypocrite. Here I am telling patients how to live a drug free, healthy wellness lifestyle. And I'm in the back bathroom, you know, taking pills. So I, I really hated myself the the toxic shame and the guilt. Um, which I'm sure escalated the use because you feel worse about yourself, so you do more. Um, Well, I just hated living that way, so I would come off of the pills on Friday and I would start a drug called Suboxone, Mm -hmm. um, usually about Saturday afternoon because you have to wait about 24 hours. You have to be fully in withdrawals and totally dope sick until you could take that drug, and then I would be sort of okay-ish by Monday morning so I could work. So my, my poor wife, she was keeping track of what she would call sick Saturday. So like on her phone, she on her calendar, like there was two one month and there was three one month and one. And like literally for the course of a year, I was sick almost every Saturday. So right before I was about to tell her and come clean, she Googled this thing called uh, leisure sickness. So leisure sickness is when you work so hard that when you have a day off, you get physically ill. Mm-hmm. So I was like, ooh, leisure sick. So I rode that like a pony for about two years. <laughs> Just, yeah, oh, we're going to go with leisure we're sickness. Gonna, we're going to go with that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're going to go with leisure <laughs> sickness. That sounds great. Um <laughs> Which is, you know, it's really just sad. I use that so often. And you're using humor to kind of mask sure, something. Yeah. It's just so yeah. horribly sad. Um, so then it got to a point, and, and really where the everything came crashing down is I, I took that Suboxone too early one night, and I took two Ambien. So I got deathly ill in like a zombie state, and I puked in both of the, uh, both of the sinks, and I was splashing it on my face, and it was all over the... My wife recorded me and just, so she said, something's got to change. You got to tell me what's going on. So finally came clean. Um, and then she, cause I knew I wanted help and I didn't want to live this way, but I, I was convinced that I, if I went to treatment, I was going to lose my license. Mm-hmm. I just thought you go to treatment, you lose your license. There's just no ifs, ands or buts about that. And we were in such a financial mess at the point. I had a, I had a line of credit from the bank for about $300,000 and they gave me a debit card, 
which is the dumbest thing to ever give a drug addict is a debit card with a line of credit that my wife didn't even really have access to. So I could just scan that at will and I burned up well over a hundred thousand dollars of that. And then, um, but by the grace of God went to treatment and, um, you went of your own volition. You yeah. How, how did that, how was did there that a crisis out? that precipitated it um, or, or my, an open door from a sympathetic person? What happened? Yeah. It was my wife just kind of being at her wits end. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in, in any legal trouble yet. I hadn't overdosed yet. I hadn't had any board complaints yet, but that was the trajectory that I was on for sure. Yeah. But no, luckily my wife stood in and said, look, this just can't continue anymore. Wow. So uh, that's interesting. So I was just having a conversation with someone today. I always say that every week, but mm-hmm. it was true. Uh, how, how many people take that first step when there is a believable threat mm-hmm. in their life that that becomes rock bottom? Sure. And nobody wants to use that as some kind of manipulation. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it a real threat is saying, oh, this is a manipulation. Yeah. This person. So did you feel like there was some conversation you said, oh, I'm going to lose this. What was it about that moment? Because I'm I'm really curious in your mind when this was happening. You still felt loved. Mm -hmm. But something was different in it. I think the turning point. So I had a patient come to me about three months before we went in, before I went into treatment and she said, um, I'm pregnant and, um, I don't want to have the baby because I've already got a, a child that's grown and I know you and Ashley are looking at adopting. So I want to give you my child. So she was going to mm. give, we were looking at adopting. Wow. That was sort of the, the path we were on, although I knew that was a disaster, but we were looking at adopting. And then my patient comes to me and says, here, here's my child. It's yours. Mm. So told my wife, she was super excited. We're going to get a free baby, beautiful baby, everything we always wanted. So uh, the second sonogram appointment, I remember seeing the image of the child on the, on the ultrasound. And it was like the voice of God just saying, no, like, no, you, no, you can't do, you can't do this. You can't, you can't bring a child into this and keep using. And I just remember very clearly the sense of the word no. Mm-hmm. And then it was very shortly after that, that I went in. That's so good. The child we lost saved my life. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So what was that like? Uh, now you're in rehab 90 days, you said. Yeah. So 94. 94 days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That must've been terrifying. Yes, absolutely hand to boot uh my sobriety date is my wife's birthday so another day another thing that i stole from her i guess yeah i was terrified i had to go to detox and that was the most miserable five days of my life um i didn't feel normal for the first 30 days which is when most people get out of rehab they do the 28 day right joke which nothing against people that have succeeded from that, but that I would be dead if I'd have stayed only 20 days. Oh, sure. Sure. There's no doubt. Um, and then I just had to really get honest and get vulnerable and get real and quit pretending and hiding. And, um, that was really hard for me, but, uh, Phil Herndon, Chip Dodd Mm. ripped me apart every day for 94 days. And it was the best, hardest work that I've ever done. And I certainly could never have done that on my own. Um, and then that's, I didn't know Christ until I saw Christ in other, other men. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because I was raised in church. I knew all the, I knew the basic scriptures. I knew what to say and how to fold my hands. And (laughs) I I could, I could put on a show with the best of them, but I was so distant from God. It was, it was just far side of the desert. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hope that answered your question. So when you came out, uh, we've we've talked with David Hampton and spent time at retreats about the after the miracle. So you come Great out book, by the way. a new man and re-enter a life that had been a totally different life for sure. seven or eight years. So what what was that like? I mean, I'm sure they threw you a parade. No, said, there were no ticker the tape parades. parades. No. <laughs> I was expecting that. I kicked open the rehab doors thinking, all right, here I am, world. (laughs) I figured my wife would throw me a party and the rest of the world would just, just, I figured everybody already knew and that I was either a pariah or a pity case, one or the other. And the reality is nobody really cared. Nobody even knew. And the Mm -hmm. ones that did know that really cared really leaned in and became very close to me. I think I had lunch with or breakfast with 15 guys in the first couple months that were at my daughter's school or my work practice. Yeah. The, the, the first week I was in rehab, I ran in, in 24 hours. I ran into my drug dealer at, <laughs> at Walmart and with, I was with all the guys, yeah, you right, go on right. little outings. Yeah. And then the next day I ran into probably my best friend in the practice. I ran into his family at TJ Maxx. Mm-hmm. So I saw him in the store and I was trying to hide. Mm-hmm. And then I turned around and his little son was standing there and goes, Hey, Dr. Ben. And he goes, Hey dad, come here. There he is. So, you know, just had to, had to be okay with just who I am for the first time in my life. I was okay in my own skin. I didn't yeah. have to pretend and perform or hide yeah. or be tell, you know, keep secrets. And I think I, I was at war with myself for so long. Um, to not have to be at war with you or to manipulate or to have to hide or, or perform was just such a relieving feeling. So it seems like you leaped into that pretty quickly. I mean, that's a, that's a huge mental adjustment to, Oh yeah, I don't have to hide. It was. Yeah. So you just, you felt it and embraced it. It was like a, like the veil had been pulled off. It was a world that I didn't know existed. It was a, a sense of, who I really am, because I never knew who I was. No identity, right. always changing and wrapped up in what was going on around me. And then the version of the person I did know, I didn't even like. Yeah, I remember patients would come up to me when I was using, and they would say, oh, Dr. Ben, I, I love, thank you so much. You do so good, and you're, you really changed my life. And I remember under my breath, I would say, screw you. Mm-hmm. Like I had contempt for them because they didn't know me and the version of me that I knew, I don't even like. So mm. screw you for reminding me of who I hate. Yeah. You know? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. So what was the process or what has been the process at home with your wife? I mean, even saying that you stole that birthday from her at mm. some point. I mean, the hope is that was the greatest birthday gift you ever could have given her. Doesn't mean you're there yet. No. Um, so what was that like? Yeah, that was rough. It was funny when I first got back from treatment, things were weirdly good because we were talking about our feelings and we were being really honest about what's going on. And we, it wasn't getting into a real, um, amplified, there was not a lot of rage or 
Um, so it started off really good talking feelings and things were going great. And then, you know, real life happens. You got to go back to work and then you got the mortgages due and, oh my gosh, we blew all this money and we're fighting out of this tax debt. And so things just kind of got rough and, um, it's, it's gotten so much better and she's hung in there and she's done the work and I've done the work and day by day, God is just transforming my house and my family. <clears throat> but it's just, as long as I can stay out of my own resentment or self-pity or all my own sort of emotional impairments, and I can just be okay with life on life's terms, then things just kind of seem to keep getting better. Every morning I wake up and say, Lord, just help me to work hard and do the next right thing and surrender all the outcomes to you. Let your will be done. Just yeah. I turn my family and my life and my finances, I turn all that over to you. Good, man. And if I don't start my day that way, it's just it's just not a good day. Yeah. And you're not trying to navigate life now uh, entirely on your own. No. No. That's not. huge. So you're going to meetings? Yep. I go to four meetings a week. Mm-hmm. Sometimes five or four, three or four or five, just depending on the week. Um, talk with guys in recovery all the time. Um, Fantastic. That's it's great. just, it's it's a world that I never knew existed. Yeah. Um, and I hate that it took what it took, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't trade it. You know? Oh, do I know that feeling? Oh, what a beautiful <laughs> story. Awesome. Mondo, how's this look to you? Because you said you guys yeah. have known each other from the. Yeah, he knew sounds me like the worst. before, I, I know and worst, then yeah. during. He, he, he and knew the after. phony version yeah. of me. Yeah. So, yeah. Can, can I ask this? Yeah, sure. Is it sure. out of bounds for me to ignore you for a second, Ben? And say, <laughs> please. Mondo, please. How, what did this story look like? How, from how sick your, was that guy? Sick, you know, man, um, there's a such a massive uh, change, obviously, in, in, in who you are, Ben. And looking back, so different. Such a different man. Scary. Uh, so different. And, you know, one thing I will say before I forget, <clears throat> I'm really proud of you, man, because I think one of the scariest things, not that I haven't done the rehab and the work that you've put in, but you're, you're a public figure in the community. Mm. People know who you are. You know, you come out of rehab, and, and next thing you know, you're plunged right back into your practice. Thousands of people know you. Mm. Holy crap. Mm-hmm. For me, I come out of rehab, I go home, and I see a few people. But for you, the the courage and the the just the daily work you had probably had to put in and mm-hmm. fighting that shame and fighting the embarrassment and fighting the questions and not being afraid to to answer mm-hmm. uh, with truth. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I couldn't when I first saw you afterwards. I, I, I saw this piece on you, man. You, you seemed uh, you seemed okay. Mm-hmm. Not arrived. No, but okay. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and I, I felt that there wasn't this persona, this mm-hmm. this this demonstrative personality. You know that you that person before whatever that was. Mm-hmm. I don't say that's yeah. who you were. That that guy, mm-hmm. that that face, whatever yeah. it was. You just seemed at peace. You seemed okay, and and okay with yourself. Mm-hmm. And and I'm and I'm sitting there looking around at all the people like this dude's got balls, man. I'm like curious, this is I'm, awesome. Like, I'm, no, I'm, I'm serious because Nate's talked about this from his perspective. Yeah, but it's it's the same thing. Were you surprised that as you were living out what Mondo's saying, mm-hmm. people didn't reject you? Were you anticipating rejection? Yeah, well, yeah. That's but the, the more honest you got, you found people drawing closer to you. Yeah, because I got a good taste of that while I was at CPE. 
Okay. And, you know, I can, I can, I can live my inside on the outside. I can bring myself to you and you won't leave me. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think I got some reps in of that. And by That's the, good. by the time I got out, like you said, I just felt okay. For yeah. the first time in 40 years, I had a, a real sense that, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I kind of like who I am. Yeah. Um, and the shame was sort of lifted. So yeah. It's weird, almost from day one in the practice, you know, seeing four or 500 people a week, like I, I never felt like I had to hide because mm-hmm. our office is set up where there's like a little little section in the back where I kind of do my work and then everybody sits out in almost a lobby kind of, kind of area. And I used to never walk in front of that wall because I would be so exposed and I would have to hide. I would never make eye contact. Mm-hmm. And I remember the day, the second day I got back, I was just standing in front of 20 something people all sitting there staring at me. And I was just saying, Hey, how are you? How are you? How are you? And it didn't feel, it didn't feel put on. It didn't feel like I had to perform. I, mm-hmm. I could just be there. That's, that's a huge statement though. It that's is, what meetings yeah. are. I mean, you said I, I got my reps in. Mm-hmm. I've never heard anyone say it like, like that. that. Yeah. yeah. Right, but, I'm going to steal that phrase. I like that. But that's what going to meetings is. That's yeah. you go to Samson, you get a chance to be honest yeah. and you practice. And it might not be perfect. Right. It's just you practice it. You practice it. You yep. practice it. Mm-hmm. And after you get enough reps in, then your pecs get bigger <laughs> and sculpted. You get honesty pecs just like you never imagined. It, it, it's, it's, awesome. it's, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Man, as, as you're talking, Ben, I, I, the first time I saw you in the lobby when, afterwards, man, uh, it was weird. Because you were never in the lobby. Uh-uh. I was hiding. You were hiding. I ne- you never saw this man in his own lobby. Right. Uh-huh. Never. Yeah. <laughs> and I walked in one day. He's in his lobby. I'm like, something going on? Like, <laughs> are they cool? So a fire, a fire drill. Yeah. Fire evacuating. Fire happening? drill. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's so cool, man. Just to to see you uh, in this this phase of life, man. It's really really cool that you don't you don't have this aura of where you're running from something. And that's how I felt before. That you were always just so moving, just moving, just not being still for anything just go, no, go, just never yeah and and but now it's like you're in the lobby chilling and talking to people i'm like this is this is awesome man <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and just how present you are with people yeah me and you've been present with me but you were present with people that are just you know regular patients that yeah. you know you don't have a, any sort of relationship with other than mm-hmm. you know a doctor patient relationship and to see you present with people is really cool man it just shows it's thank the fruit you for of, the fruit of the work <clears throat> That you're putting in the, the reps, yes. And yeah. yeah, Ben, thank you your, so much. Your truth pecs are beautiful. <laughs> the truth pecs, <laughs> flexing them right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for sharing your story with Absolutely. us. Absolutely, thank I, you. I know that our listeners are going to identify. Yeah, uh, I'm sure you have inspired a good number of folks. Mm. And uh, to those listeners out there who are still trying their darndest to control it on their own Mm. you've quit for the 1000th time and going for help seems like dying i hope you'll take some inspiration from ben's story today Mm -hmm. and make that fateful call and save your life well time has flown aaron hard to believe we've already reached the end of wrapping this up yeah i think we have to to, that's that's one less song for me to find if we don't (laughs) break here so that's fine oh good yeah uh you know what when it's a when it's a damn good cake it doesn't even need frosting this was really good 
What does that mean? I don't know what that what, means. Hey, we're going to roll with it, though. I like okay. That. I like cake. I want a piece. <laughs> All I'm saying is this was a great conversation. It's it a was. wonderful episode, and yeah. it doesn't need any frosting at the end. We're done. We're done. done. Fine. <laughs> Boom. Mic drop. There we go. I love it. I love it. I'm Aaron. I'm, I'm Nate. I'm, I'm Ben. All right. Everybody, everybody's here. We're your friends. We got to get out of here because it was too good. No frosting. <laughs> See you next week. See ya. <laughs>